He's kind of like the Joe Rogan of the hospitality industry right now. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. I've always been fascinated by solving problems. And um, when I can bring in the ability to help people, to help the environment along, to bring a lot of people along for the ride. We call that creating stakeholder value. Uh, solving problems then becomes something that is beyond just solving the puzzle in my brain. It becomes something that's like a bit of a life's mission, a life's uh, journey. Welcome to Slick Talk, the hospitality podcast where we discuss all things hospitality, hotels, and business. You can find us online at slicktalkthepodcast.com and on every podcast listening platform. As I've been growing my business and finding new ways to add to my property portfolio, I have to think about how I can anticipate the homeowner's needs, just like I do for my guests. One of the things owners always ask is, how is my property going to be protected? What happens if something gets damaged or worse? These are valid questions and concerns, and I have an opportunity to address these concerns before they even get mentioned, all thanks to having Safely as part of my toolkit. I can ensure all stakeholders are covered during a guest stay and use this information as a way to grow my business by ensuring my property owners know they can trust that I have them covered. If you're a professional property manager, then you need to get safely in your tool belt so you can focus on operating and growing your business. Thanks for listening to Slick Talk, the hospitality podcast. Now, back to an episode. everybody welcome back to slick talk the hospitality podcast and man am i excited for this episode today because it is with my good friend daniel cruz who is the ceo and co-founder of wash bnb also started out as an airbnb super host creating his now entrepreneurial journey which is really exciting um daniel my man I'm so excited to have you on the show. We've talked multiple times throughout the last couple months. Uh, I see you in the club all the time, aka Clubhouse, and uh, it's just super cool to finally have you on Slick Talk and, and to hear your story and your mission. Thanks so much for having me, Will. Uh, I loved what the, your intro. Thanks for that. Um, I, something stuck with me. I started as an Airbnb super host, and that's actually really true. I've been an yeah. Airbnb super host the very first quarter I joined Airbnb in 2016. Uh, and every quarter since it's something I've taken a pride. Um, I had no idea how Airbnb hosting would change my life, um, but it did. And it's just the work that naturally, you know, I discovered it. It was really fun. Uh, it was hospitality, which I've always been worked in, you know, at some point um, in restaurants and then in craft beer and sales. Uh, and I've just, you know, used hospitality my, throughout my entire life. So um, started that way and I'm going to keep it going that way, even as I build Wash B&B. I love it. Well, you just kind of covered a little bit about your background and I just want to dive into where's your journey start? Like where, where did you really start to realize, okay, one hospitality, but two, what kind of led, what were the leading moments getting to your first Airbnb property where you became super host? And then what were the leading moments and ideas and thoughts behind creating Wash B&B? Wow. Uh, there's a lot to unpack here. I mean, <laughs> I worked in restaurants in high school. I was a really shy kid. I mean, I played sports. I was a quarterback. Uh, but I was really shy in high school, uh, never really was really introverted uh, and working in restaurants, you know, going from busing to, to serving was a huge impact on my life. It taught me how to talk to strangers. It taught me how to like carry small talk um, and sort of use communication and taking care of people as a way to increase the amount of money that I was able to make that night or that day or that year. And so I think my journey in hospitality started that way. Um, another big moment was I read Danny Meyer's book, Setting the Table, probably in 2008 or 2009. I was working at a beer distributor at the time in San Francisco, and 
learned so much in that book and said, and sort of went to the beer distributor staff and said, Hey, if, if we can apply some of these principles in this book and treat our suppliers, our customers, our drivers, our employees, our community that we work in, if we can sort of bring these principles to light and treat them in hospitable ways, uh, enlightened hospitality is the term that Danny uses. I think we've got a really big opportunity here to like, to control a huge share of the market because nobody does this in beer distribution. Um, it's a little bit of a fear game. And so uh, that didn't go down very well. They uh, were very old school. Uh, it led to me wanting to leave and I did. Um, and then I sort of took a journey through beer sales and marketing and, um, and another stops along the way. Then I moved to San Francisco. I moved from San Francisco to Milwaukee in 2016, just looking for a sort of a fresh start, a place I can be entrepreneurial. San Francisco was quickly becoming you know, way more expensive than I could afford as a marketing manager in the beer industry at that time. So I um, moved to Milwaukee. It was sort of like a little bit of like playing, you know, point a finger on the map and let's go. Uh, but it was definitely more strategic than that. that Milwaukee is a fantastic city. Uh, it's got a lot going for it for its small size. Uh, great bars and restaurants, which is sort of table stakes for me, uh, centrally located and a really cool, like up and coming neighborhood I've discovered called Walker's Point. And I discovered also this beautiful house was built in 1851. It was a duplex, which was something that I wanted um, to invest in some real estate. And as I traveled back and forth between San Francisco and Milwaukee, I ended up putting my place on Airbnb, uh, knowing that I'd be gone, you know, quite a bit doing some consulting work. And I came home that spring and I was homeless. And uh, by homeless, I meant that my place was booked. I was at night. I think I did 95% capacity or occupancy my first summer there. Uh, and so uh, I was writing a business plan for something else uh, that got torpedoed by, um, you know, sort of the political situation that happened in 2016. And I sort of woke up and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm going to get close to $100,000 in revenue on Airbnb this year. I, I think I found a business even though I didn't try. Yeah. Um, and so <laughs> I pivoted, I pivoted there. And that was really the beginning of my Airbnb journey. Well, I was going to say that's kind of a, we've said it multiple times on the show. It's the most unconventional way a lot of people fall into Airbnb. It's so conventional to be unconventional uh, when it comes to getting into short-term rentals. And so I think we all kind of accidentally fall into it somehow, shape or form. And it's really cool that you were, you know, quote unquote homeless, because that means your unit was doing good uh, to the point where you were probably not worried about uh, that place, you know, paying its bills, uh, which is Awesome, uh, especially on the entrepreneur journey. Yeah, um, I'm kind of joking, not joking at that. I, I literally slept in my basement a couple nights. I was staying with a girlfriend who got tired of me staying with her for free. And <laughs> um, and so I ended up sleeping in my really dark, cold basement a couple of nights in the duplex, trying to figure out what my next moves were going to be um, while I had paying guests upstairs and a full-time tenant downstairs. Uh, I ended up finding an apartment um, literally one block away that I could see from my house. And, uh, it made sense for me to rent that apartment and sort of start my own living space there while I rented it out. Um, and the rents actually paid for my apartment, uh, the cost of running Airbnb housekeeping, all that fun stuff as well. Wow. That's so awesome. I love it. So let's talk about, I think this is where the journey really began for wash B then because what you have now two units going on Airbnb or was it just that one? It's just the one. And uh, at that point, you know, I was just sort of like experimenting. I had all of my personal stuff in the house. I mean, my closet was full of the clothes. I just let people sort of have at it like, and discovered and sort of that was the big discovery moment for Airbnb. It was like nobody stole my artwork. Nobody touched my clothes. You know, people were really respectful of my stuff. And that was like, OK, this is really cool. Everything that people warned me about Airbnb doesn't seem to be very true. Um, so this feels a lot less risky than renting out my place to somebody for 12 months who then, you know, doesn't clean the mold in the bathroom or whatever it may be. And, you know, cost me tens of thousands of dollars. I feel like this is a pretty good way to keep tight control over my space. Uh, my tenant downstairs moved out, uh, I believe at the beginning of spring uh, or over the winter that year. And a house came for sale um, to actually for rent first, a couple doors down a single family house. And I pounced. I said, I think now's the time. Uh, this is the name I believed in this neighborhood. When I moved from San Francisco, I just knew I was going to make an investment. And so many times in my life before that I had sat on the sidelines and said, mm -hmm. uh, I don't know if I should like go for it. I know it's a really good idea. I mean, I have business plans that are now multi-billion dollar businesses that are just mm -hmm. sitting in a, you know, old drive, you know, old share drive somewhere. Uh, 
and this was my moment. I thought where I was just, you know what? The market is hot. I'm going to do it. I, I see things that are happening before other people are seeing them. And so I made those two places work, put them on Airbnb. And that next summer I operated all three places at 98% capacity um, and was getting, you know, charging rents or, or Airbnb fees in the, you know, four to five times of what I'd make as a regular leased rental. Yeah. Wow. Just awesome. I love hearing it. I love hearing the origin. It's always like it brings you back to the roots and where it all began. And I, I love I love seeing that beginning journey to see now where you are today. So with what what were the leading moments now with Wash B? How did you, this idea that you're you're making good strides with nightly rates, you have occupancy, your places are booked. So what happened in order for you to be like, I need to create Wash B? Man, I spent two months in the throes of winter outfitting units from, and I was doing this, you know, with no permanent income. I sort of left my job in San Francisco. I stopped consulting for a little while, traveled to Mexico a lot, sort of came back from that and said, all right, how do I do this? I need furniture. I need silverware. I mean, I was driving to every Goodwill within a 50 mile radius, driving down to Chicago, pitch up, pick up mattresses, um, just, you know, piecing this, these houses together. Uh, but I finally got up and running Spring comes along, it's spring break. I think that was the first time I had, you know, multiple families and different units, lots of lots of guests coming in and out. You know, just I'm a big fan of the one night rentals also. Um, so I've got lots of checkout, check-ins, checkouts. And I think that first like spring break weekend, it was Sunday, and I was like, oh my God, I have like 400 pounds of laundry to do. <laughs> And even if at that time I was doing it in unit and I was trying to like keep up, you know, guests would check out, would run in, throw all the laundry in the washing machine. But of course, when you have like a two bedroom house, you sleep up to 10 people because there's lots of extra space. Um, and both my other places are both about 1400 square feet each. That's um, just your home washing machine just isn't made to do that. Yeah. And then, and then if you leave it in the dryer, it gets wrinkled, which isn't a great experience. So eventually I had moved everything to my basement and, and figured out that I could do it at a laundromat. Um, but I was still like really piecemealing it all together and just like completely overwhelmed with laundry and, and thinking like, if I want to take a vacation, that's never going to happen. Mm-hmm. And so then this side hustle, which was supposed to enable me to travel. Uh, I spent a lot of time in Mexico in grad school. I loved it down there. Wanted to do some business in, in South America and Latin America in general it just, uh, I was like, okay, I'm actually married to Airbnb hosting now. <laughs> and how do I get, how do I get, how do I get my side hustle back to being a side hustle? Yeah. So you're, you just pretty much created another job for yourself on top of everything. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was, it's a three places, 15 beds. I mean, I was a 40 hour a week laundry job. Damn. I can't imagine. Okay. So you, it sounds like you were cleaning everything actually. Like, were you doing all the cleaning itself or were you just doing the laundry focused? I was doing, um, at the very beginning, I was doing most of both of it. Um, I did have some housekeepers um, that I'd worked with um, on my own place to help out with girlfriends sort of like would come and go and I'd be like, Hey, you want to make make a little money cleaning up, cleaning a house today, (laughs) you know, you know, networking with college students, like trying to find anybody I could to sort of like take this stuff off of me. Uh, but you know, I didn't come from that hotel background. I didn't come from, you know, the accommodation side of hospitality. Uh, but I did, I did stay in hotels, uh, quite frequently. I think I've got almost 800 stays at Marriott and Starwood properties in my account. Um, so when I, when I worked in the corporate world, I traveled 120 to 150 nights a year. So I knew what good hospitality, like good accommodations, hospitality was what it felt like, what that bed felt like every time you like slipped into a nicely made hotel bed. Um, so I knew some of those principles, but I just didn't recognize like how to really recreate that myself. No, that's awesome. Uh, so not only were you doing tons of laundry, but then when you tried to outsource it, it sounds like you came into a couple issues when it came to consistency, quality, the other things. So what were the pain points that really, you were like, okay, I can't, I can't find another company to do this. I have to, I have to create this myself. Yeah. When you need something done, what do you do? You jump on Google, right? Yep. So I Googled the Airbnb laundry, um, hotel laundry service, all these uh, different types of search terms to try to find companies that would you know, be able to take care of this for me. And I kept striking out. I thought I had this really brilliant idea. There's this hotel company that owns a big laundry company that outsources laundry for big hotels. Got them on the phone, told them what I was up to. 
um, actually got a tour of their facility, which was like mind blowing the tunnel washers and the big dryers and the um, flat work ironers, which are these big machines that, you know, take a wet sheet and iron it, press it, fold it all without using human hands and yeah. like saving a lot of human backs and things like that, which is really cool. And I'm like, Oh, cool. This is it. This is <laughs> how do I participate? <laughs> and they said, well, uh, five to 10,000 pounds a week is kind of like the starting. So how many rooms do you have again? Cause like 150 rooms is really what we work with. Oh, wow. I go, Oh, well, I've got, um, well, beds, bedrooms, how, like doors. How do you, <laughs> I was like, but maybe I've got 500 pounds a week on a busy, on a busy week. So, um, they're like, okay, well maybe we can try to find some way to work with you. Um, can you bring some samples of your linens? And I did. And I looked at the tags and they're like, oh yeah, these are microfiber. Just, yeah, just, it's not going to work with our machines. Uh, these are really low quality. Our machines will just sort of tear them up. And so that was a disappointment. Uh, then I found, you know, local laundromats. I tried wash and fold. Um, I mean, there's wash and fold in Milwaukee for a dollar a pound, which is very, very inexpensive. Uh, but my sheets would come back with weird stains on them, um, clumps of the powdered, you know, cheap powdered detergents they were using in them, like hairs. I'm like, this is also not a very good, uh, very good experience. Um, and then eventually I just found, um, I was introduced to a college student. Um, her name's Kat. She was at uh, Myad Institute of Art and Design uh, in Milwaukee here. And her parents, she grew up in Oregon. Her parents owned um, an Airbnb on the Oregon coast. Uh, she had worked for Vercasa in Oregon as a housekeeper, uh, worked in another like motel as a housekeeper. Um, so even though she was 20 years old or 19 when I met her, uh, she had significant experience in the industry. She sort of understood hospitality. And so I hired her to do my laundry. She sat in a laundromat a block away every Sunday for eight to 10 hours, washing, drying, and folding uh, all the sheets. She actually really enjoys doing laundry. She's one of the rare people out there. I call it like the one percenter of the laundry world <laughs> yeah. that just really loves, <laughs> loves doing laundry. Um, folding is therapeutic for her. Like every once in a while, you're, every once in a while you'll run into somebody we talk about like laundry sucks. This thing of wash me and be. And um, they're like, no way. I love doing laundry. I'm like, cool. You should come work for us. <laughs> But uh, yeah, so Kat like saved the day. She And then she she grew into the role of my Airbnb co-host. She took over for me when I would go on vacation. And that was a perfect arrangement because I got my side hustle back, but yeah. I needed somebody else to solve it for me. Oh, that's awesome. That's such a cool story. And uh, I think Kat and I would probably know a lot of the uh, familiar places in, in Oregon Coast, especially that's where I was uh, last managing. So that's really fun. That's a uh, cool cool story. We'll have to get her on the podcast someday. Get a dual yeah. wash B&B. Uh, episode going, um, man. So, okay. So how do you even go about starting this laundry service yourself? Like if you, if you can't find a solution out there, what for you, were you like, okay, this is how we're going to change it and different and make it like strictly for this specific niche and customer base that is underserviced. Yeah. Uh, it's something I thought about like in that moment that year, but I found cat, I went to cat and said, I think we should do this for other hosts. And she was like, yeah, like that's, I probably got some friends that we can fold a bunch of laundry and sit and hang out in laundry mats. And so we sort of noodled on it a while, but we both were like sort of busy. She was busy like getting a degree. I was busy, you know, traveling to Mexico or doing whatever I was doing <laughs> in those days. Yeah. Um, but eventually I went back to work. I got a job at GE Healthcare and strategic marketing, thought that I would, you know, rejoin the corporate world and work for a company that I wasn't really emotionally invested in. And maybe I wouldn't be all burned out. That didn't work very well. Cat graduated, left. So then I was stuck with a laundry problem again, uh, still hosting three places, uh, no cat, corporate job where I was working like 60, 70 hours a week and just miserable and unhappy. So I uh, went to a neighborhood association gathering and the alderman there introduced me to uh, a few folks who were considering opening Airbnbs in Milwaukee. Um, this is the end of 2019 ahead of the, uh, Democratic National Convention, which had been announced as Milwaukee's the winner. So like big gold rush. And that's cool because Airbnbs, like their origin story is around Democratic, uh, the Republican and Democratic National Conventions. They made the Obama O's and I forget the one they made for John McCain, but um, you know, that like saved their company. It sort of like put them on the map. Um, and then here I was looking at that same gold rush situation here in Milwaukee 
and talk to these to these hosts and they had no idea what they were going to do for operations and laundry but they were going to rent a whole bunch of apartment units i mean saunder was there they were looking at 50 units stay alfred was there was looking at um 100 units in my neighborhood i'm like man i'm never going to be able to compete with these guys and so i went home that night and i told my girlfriend that I'm going to start a laundry company and we're going to do it for Airbnb host. And there's nothing else like it. And I keep looking for it and I keep waiting for somebody else to do it. And I keep giving the idea to laundry companies uh, and nobody wants the business. So I think there's a way to do this that is scalable, that doesn't require a lot of labor, people showing up to clean houses at you know at three o'clock on Sundays or 11 a.m. on Sundays. Uh, I think there's a really good use case for laundry and there's these huge machines out there that are really good at doing laundry and do it inexpensively. Um, so yeah, this is what I'm going to do. This is my ticket out of the corporate world. Awesome. So, how did you build it? What did you? What were the? What were the steps? I'm curious. I, I got to know. <laughs> yeah, I uh, John Kroger, uh, who runs Cream City Executive Stays in here, Milwaukee. Uh, he was just getting ready to launch at the same time. <clears throat> He's one of the people I met at that meeting. I called him and uh, said, "I would like to meet with you and your partner. I think I can help you on the housekeeping issues that you said you're going to have problems with, but I've also got another idea." Met with him January 1st, 2020 and said, I'm going to do all your laundry. I'm going to give you the best like hotel quality luxury sheets that you can find. And we're going to charge you by the reservation. So if you're really busy, I'll make a lot of money. If you're really slow, I won't make any money. And I want to make your business better. And I just, you know, I think this is a good service that you're going to need. He said, yes. He's, I said, I'll figure out how much it costs. I'll figure out what it looks like. Uh, in the next few weeks. But um, as you're getting ready, we'll figure this out. And I got you. And uh, we kind of like made it happen there. And uh, as I look back on it, I just, you know, I realized that he had zero, you know, other options. So <laughs> it wasn't like the world's hardest sales pitch, but it, it was something that that worked out really well. They didn't know what size laundry machines were going to be in the unit. And then they get the units assigned to them by the management company. And they're like these tiny little non-vented stackable units, which if anybody's ever used them at a vacation rental or anything, like you just, you, you put a towel in there, one towel, it takes six hours to dry. Yeah, Just like, you're never going to do sheets and towels in there. So yeah, we just figured it out. We started by washing and drying the stuff that he'd already purchased um, while we built connections to supplier networks to try to procure really high quality hotel, you know, standard hotel quality white linens and find a laundry partner, uh, which we couldn't do initially because all the laundry companies were slammed. I mean, turning the winter of 2020, hospitality accommodations were, mm. every hotel was booked. Every Airbnb was booked. I mean, there just wasn't a place to stay and there wasn't a place to to put your laundry if you wanted it because everybody was like, no, nah, I'm maxed out. <laughs> so uh, we thought we were going to have to start buying linens and laundry, uh, start buying our own laundry machines which became a pretty difficult, pretty hard thing to swallow for investors we were talking to about hoping, you know, give some startup capital for this. But we got into a tech accelerator and started putting a lot of real effort into like how we're going to build this, how we're going to scale it, what it looks like. And the day we started that was March 12th. The next day the world went yep. remote. <laughs> Gosh, man, what a startup story that is, man. Like I think... Oh, I'm just imagining the buildup for it to then the day you open, be like, we're going to crush it to then the next day. It's like, and all short-term rental and hotel reservations have been canceled, fully refunded. Hotels are closing vacation rental buildings and management companies are losing hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars. And they're closing and never opening up again. And I uh, hope you guys survive. Like have fun. That's gotta be intense. It was really intense. It, it even gets a little bit like more intense uh, on February 28th of 2020. Um, so by that time I recruited Kat to be a co-founder with me. Um, I recruited my friend, Brian, who's just a logistics whiz, super smart guy that I know in Milwaukee to be a co-founder as well. Uh, Brian and I got on a flight to New York city. Guesty was hosting, I think it was their first um, event in New York city, their first U S event in New York. I was like, this is the perfect place for us. Like, let's go. There's somebody from Domeo, somebody from Marriott, I forget the other company that was presenting. There's going to be hosts there. They're like, let's just go like show up. And Kat is a graphic designer. She made a logo. After like four or five nights searching domain names, I found Wash b and like settled on it, purchased it. She made a logo. We printed business cards and we're like on a flight to New York. <laughs> Get there. Don't, you know, we don't know a soul there. 
you know, we had, I had no network in the short-term rentals or hospitality space at that point. And we just sort of walk in and we're like, yeah, we registered. Cool. Excited to be here. Heard the panel discussion, started talking with people, man, that night I met co-founders from Breezeway, Marriott Homes and Villas, Domeo, some people who I've randomly reconnected with on Clubhouse who were at that meeting also. Uh, John from Hawaii is definitely one of them. And uh, just a whole bunch of hosts like from Toronto, from all over the US hosted like come into this event. And one, I don't know how we didn't get COVID because we're packed into this like thousand person room and there's probably like 1200 people in there all like talking very close to each other because you know you're drinking and it's loud yeah and two like we had circles around us like people were stoked to talk about laundry and excited to hear that there was finally somebody that was like gonna try to tackle this laundry problem i met somebody from philadelphia who's hosting 80 units managing 80 units and he was just like almost in tears man (laughs) he's like i'm so tired of laundry ruining my business and like we heard stories from hosts who had done everything. I mean, I met a host that night who had bought a laundromat himself and staffed it full of people at night doing laundry, That's, you know, doing the laundry and then opened wow. it back up to regular paying guests during the day. Wow. Um, I met hosts who had tried linen rental programs with laundry companies, had tried big laundry companies, small laundry companies, wash and fold, like hiring their own teams of people and everybody was failing at it. Marriott Homes and Villas, like, gave us a card and she was like, please call me right now. I've got an operations team is trying frantically to like work on solutions for this, for our, uh, for companies that are joining our platform. And uh, Domeo did the same thing. And I was like, man, like we left that, like we spent like three times as much money on dinner than we should have. Because <laughs> I was like, Brian, like we just hit the jackpot. Like, we, we totally made it. Like we got to go figure out how to build this thing as fast as possible because we got pockets full of business cards emails already like the world was on fire and, and like we we're ready to, to go after it so that's that sort of set the stage for covid for us it was just like this is never we got into a tech accelerator like two weeks later it was just like rocket ship we we're ready to go yeah well i was gonna say what better way to like i don't know i feel covid sped up so much and we've talked about this on the show with multiple other guests is like, you know the progression that the industry has made in the last year uh is what it was supposed to make in the, la- in the next you know three to five years. And uh, it's pretty incredible. And this is a big pain point and, and getting to connect with people like Jeremiah uh, Gall from Breezeway, like, dude, talk about a great person to be connected with in the industry, especially on the back end of operations. Like that's a solid um, beginning journey, especially in New York and connecting with all these people. I, yeah. It just accelerates so much for, for what the industry has been doing. And so now what's, I want to ask two questions and, um, the first one is going to be based around you, you brought up the book, uh, setting the table. And I want to see what were you going to apply to that beer distributorship, uh, company that you didn't get to that you have applied into wash B and B. And then my second question will be, where are you guys at now? Like what's your operations and business looking like from that moment so that you guys left that convention to, to where you are today? Yeah. Um, I'll start with the first one. Danny Meyer's book is just a powerful influence in my life. I've, I've probably read it cover to cover four or five times now. Pick it up all the time, thumb through it, just find something interesting to, to noodle on. Um, I think it's really in two parts. One is, is how you think of stakeholders and the value that you create for all of them. So stakeholders in this case are it's community, it's employees, it's customers, suppliers, and vendors. Um, I think Danny Meyer orders them actually as employees, uh, customers, suppliers, and communities. Um, I don't think there necessarily has to be an order. I think it's important to create value for all of those places. Um, it's something that's hugely passionate of mine. You don't leave people behind when you do business. Um, you bring everybody ahead. You bring them up with you. And so the first thing we do with that, with Washington B is like when we created our value propositions, which were built around the values that we all believe in as a co-founding team, uh, we made sure that everything aligned and like everything that we're creating for customers makes them better. And everything we create for our customers also makes the community better somehow. Uh, We'd love to talk about like the environmental aspect, the sustainability of reducing the footprint of decentralized travel because travel is by its very nature, resource intensive. 
a thousand people staying in one hotel room or one hotel building has a certain environmental footprint associated with that. A thousand people staying in 500 different Airbnbs has a much bigger environmental footprint. So how do we take out some of that? How do we drive some efficiencies that are done through that is one is one definitely one way. Uh, but really it's just thinking like everything we do for our customers, our suppliers, our communities, our employees, like are we creating real value for them? It doesn't have to be riches, right? You don't have to make everybody rich in order to create value. You can do that in a, in a number of ways by treating them rightly, um, giving them better economic opportunities either in the company or outside of the company uh, and doing stuff that makes customers business stronger so they can provide better hospitality to their guests. So they're focused on providing the best hospitality possible. The second way I love to think about that is through like most companies in the startup world, in the tech world have this extreme aversion to overhead cost, to labor, to things that don't scale. Um, but I actually look at a business like a business that provides a service to others. Overhead costs can be a key competitive advantage. If you had, can control your overhead costs, but you've put that into training people to deliver enlightened hospitality at the ground level, like those people then become salespeople. They become customer success associates. And the way that I think about this and the way that we really want to build Watch Me and Be is a route sales and route delivery network where the frontline employees are networked in housekeeping operations with the customers themselves. They're seeing the customers way more than anybody else is at the company. Um, I don't believe in necessarily everything is going to be, you know, faceless, touchless, deep into the future. There's always going to be a need for a physical space. And so Wash B&B is like our ability to access those physical spaces is our big opportunity. And those people that access them that have to install linens or a noise monitoring device or deliver a six pack of toilet paper, maybe provide landscaping services. I mean, whatever Wash B&B becomes, like people will always have a meaningful part of that and people deliver hospitality. So hospitality, as Danny Miner defines it, is, um, is I'm, I'm gonna mess this up a little bit, but it's how you make somebody feel in a transaction and service is simply the technical delivery of that transaction. Mm -hmm. So we don't wanna be service. We just don't wanna provide service, drop off a bag of linens and take off like that service. Mm -hmm. Hospitality is, I'll put it this way, Everybody, all Airbnb hosts out here will know what I know what I'm talking about. When you get that notification on your Airbnb from your Airbnb email or app or ping, and you're at dinner with your friends and you look down and you're like, oh, I bet this is going to be good. Yeah. I just got a $1,500 booking for two weekends from now. Yeah. Like send us another bottle of wine. Let's go. Let's have a good time tonight. Like I just hanging out with my friends and made some money. Like that feels good. Like that's a deep connection to their brand. It's a deep connection to your ability to like somebody voted with their wallet on your space, on your experience. I think Wash Me Be should be a brand with the same sort of emotional connection. I want our customers when they get an Airbnb booking to also just be like, I'm pumped because my Wash Me Be guy just made more money. That guy that brings me my linens every week is so cool. And he helped me with a problem. He identified something that I could be doing better. You know, all these things that we could just help our customers do better. To me, that's the spirit of hospitality and like what we want to do as a company. I love that. And it brings back to another conversation that we had um, in, in Clubhouse where we talked about the importance of the white linens uh, when it comes to sheets and top sheets and the, the overall comforter. Now that is a contract of trust. And I love how you just said that because it's a when you get that booking, that notification when you're at dinner with your friends and you're like, hell yeah, bring us another round of, of wine or whatever. Um, that is an indication that the guests trusted your listing enough to say, I can stay here. I feel comfortable. I, I can feel safe. Now how the white linen analogy that you brought up in clubhouse was pretty much the same thing. And so, uh, if you want to elaborate on that, I would love, cause I don't want to butcher it. Um, cause you said it so, <laughs> you said it so perfectly, um, in clubhouse that I was like, man, that's something that's golden. Yeah. I'm not the most eloquent person, but, uh, sometimes it comes out well. So I'll try to recreate the magic here for you and your listeners. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So I've studied the Weston heavenly bed story quite extensively. There's some good business cases around it. Um, one of our advisors is actually was on the team that built that original product for Weston at Starwood in the mid nineties. What they discovered in their research was that by using all white linens, it's very counterintuitive. You would, if you're a first time Airbnb host, you're probably like, I'm going to buy these black or blue linens, hide as many like stains, make them last as long as possible. 
But that's actually not, that's the opposite. That's the counterintuitive point. So what you really want to do is you want to show your guests almost like you deliver an unsigned contract or an unwritten contract. And you say, I put my very best forward for you. It's all white. I can't hide my mistakes. I can't hide the stains. I can't hide that I didn't wash them. I can't hide the hairs. Here is my contract. The, the products that you use to sleep in and dry off in as you get out of the shower are the best of the best. They're the cleanest I can get them, the whitest I can get them. And if somebody ruins them or somebody does something really gross on them, like I can't recover it. I got to throw it away and give you something new. It's a powerful signal to your guest that you're taking care of them. That's hospitality, right? Taking care of them, making people feel good, uh, making them feel safe. It's like all like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, like all built into one simple intuition, like counterintuitive product. And then also what's not necessarily counterintuitive because most hosts will say, yeah, but if I give my guests these awesome white linens, like they're going to rub their makeup in them, they're going to ruin them. You know, they're going to treat them like trash. It's actually not true. What pe- most people do is they see you on the other side of that contract and they say, wow, this host went all out for me. They took care of me with this beautiful white linens. I'm going to do my best to take care of this space and take care of these linens. Cause one, I don't want the personal embarrassment of like giving a bed back. That's like covered in makeup or, you know, whatever else is might be covered in. And, and I sort of want to like repay the host, the favor of doing that for me. It's so simple when you think about it, but it really revolutionized the hotel space. I mean, you and I probably aren't old enough to really remember what it was like staying in hotels before white linens were the, you were nice. I've stayed at a couple. I've stayed at a, like a handful where I was like, what is this? Like, is this, am I feeling crumbs in the, in the blankets or is this like just part of the fabric? I can't tell. So I may have, I may have deleted it now. I think I might've now that I'm, now that I'm actually in Wash Me Be, but my very first Instagram picture when I joined Instagram, whatever year it came out in was like a picture of this bloodstained sheet at this like pretty janky hotel I stayed at in Dallas. I think it was like for the Ducks, uh, the Ducks were in like a national championship game or something. I think I, I like picked up this pretty janky hotel room. <laughs> And like, I just posted like this bloodstained sheets. I was like, oh my God, where am I going to sleep tonight? And forever, it was my first Instagram post. And so, <laughs> yeah, I mean, like what a whole wild world yeah. like that existed before white sheets. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree. So <laughs> now I'm just thinking about all the horror stories from my army so, yeah. time, my army time too. <laughs> so maybe this is where I plug Wash Me and Be. Wash Me and Be is always and forever going to be 100% white linens. Um, we just multiply that contract. Like it's no longer just a contract between the host and the guest. It's a contract between wash B and B the host and the guests. So we actually get to provide really cool hospitality to our customers and their guests, which is a really fascinating part of the equation for me personally, because, um, the more people that we're making happy along our journey, the better. Yeah. I totally agree with that. And now I was going to lead to the point. So where are you guys at today? What from the beginning operations and leaving that convention in New York to, now being what we've been in, in the pandemic over a year or almost a, over a year, um, what's what's it look like now? What's it look like for you guys? Yeah, well, um, leaving that convention in New York, the next two months was like part of it was just sitting around like with our thumbs in the air, just like holy crap! <laughs> I just quit my job. What did I do? <laughs> uh, you know, I. I bartend for the brewers and the bucks here in Milwaukee for some side jobs that I've had that I just love bartending and getting on my feet and, and breaking my brain down and, and only being able to focus on service. So when I quit my job at GE, I was like, okay, I got two really good bartending jobs. I've got, uh, I was down to two Airbnb units by that point. I'm like, I got two really high performing Airbnb units. Like I've got enough, you know, most founders say it takes them two years before they finally start making some money in their, in their startup. So like, I've got, I think I could do this for two years. Like I can make enough money to survive in Milwaukee. It's great value. Cool. So the pandemic for me was also just like to straight zero, like no bartending jobs, no Airbnb income. I lost a whole summer full of bookings in a matter of three weeks. I was like, oh man, (laughs) I really messed up. It was like, it was like the, that's what everybody fears, right? It was like, you stay on the sidelines, you don't open the restaurant, even though you're the best chef in town or the best cook, like that ever, all your friends know about, like, you don't, you don't take the risk because like 
the unfathomable can happen. But the reality is unfathomable almost never happens. And like, boom, it happened. I was like, this is just my luck. <laughs> my whole life was like literally just one like string of like bad luck <laughs> career decisions one after another. And like, yeah, I keep eking it out, but just like, boom. Um, so where do we go from there? Like we, Kat had this brilliant, brilliant idea. And she said, you know, we're already washing and folding John's laundry and there's not a left of it washed and fold. So we got some time. What if we just use the same laundromats we're doing and just start doing laundry for people that can't go to laundromats anymore? Mm. Like who can't go to laundromats? Like senior citizens, people that live in probably low income housing that don't have access to laundry, uh, people that have diseases that uh, may make them more susceptible to COVID-19 shouldn't be leaving their house, shouldn't be using like public laundromats. Okay cat that's an interesting idea let's think about it like okay next morning i woke up and i was just like that's it like that's what we have to do we have to like just do something because we got time on our hands and so let's do it so we pivoted to we pivoted wash bnb to do laundry for people that couldn't afford it um could afford it didn't have access to laundry machines whatever it was we built a website in three days. We whiteboarded a thousand different ways to make money or not make money doing this. And uh, we threw up a GoFundMe and said, we're going to hire out of work service industry employees um, to run around and grab people's laundry that need help. And if they can't pay for it, we'll use your donations to pay the cost of the labor and the laundry machines at the laundromat and soap and all that. So that ended up being a great thing for us. We got some, we got some coverage in the New York times and a couple of their local press articles. Uh, this wonderful, fantastic woman named Julie Kaufman in Milwaukee. She's a philanthropist. Um, she builds amazing businesses in underprivileged communities uh, that are designed to support those communities. Like she embodies and, you know, this, this hospital enlightened hospitality we were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. She picks up one of those stories and, and shoots us an email I'm building a hotel in Milwaukee. Do you think you guys could do our laundry or figure this out with us? Wow. Okay, cool. There's something to our original story, right? Like maybe yeah. hospitality comes back at that point, like Airbnbs were starting to get, you know, booked by people who got stuck places or whatever. And so I was like, team, this is it. This is our moment. Let's go. We, you know, called all the suppliers. We were talking like all the stuff that we'd sort of just like left where it was in the dust and we're able to put together a proposal and bid for the business and we won and the hotel was supposed to open in june and then july and then i think it opened in uh, end of july early august Uh, but that was great because it gave us time to like order linens get our programs sort of set together like understand like okay how are we actually going to do this um we ordered a washer and a dryer because at that point the laundry services that we were going to use were all shut down they were closed Like hotels didn't even have anywhere to do their laundry. Like the hotels that were open were like back to being Airbnb hosts. Like, oh crap, our laundry facilities are closed. <laughs> like people don't want to work in close conjunction to each other. And so we were just like connected with a really cool laundry company here called uh, Herb Fitzgerald. They gave us a chance. We bought like the Green Bay Packers, like old washing machine. Mm. Um, we bought a brand new dryer um, and an ozone machine. And we're like, all right, here we go. And then we got, an introduction to uh, Wisconsin Hospitality Linen Service, which is owned by Marcus Corp. Mm. And they said, hey, uh, we're down to like a few shifts a week, but we've got space. And I think we could work together if, if you want to make it happen. And we're like, okay, now we got somebody to do laundry for us. Let's focus on building this out and making it happen. And so we pivoted in August to using all of our own linens. Uh, the full service Washington B was born. We transferred John's units. Um, I think by that point he had grown from five to eight and we added a few more customers. We added my units and we just started making a lot of mistakes, but also building in conjunction with our customers. Uh, things slowed down a bit again in the winter. Um, we got a little too excited about the volumes for Airbnb. We saw in like the end of August yeah. summer was really good in Milwaukee. We had a beautiful, like great weather summer in Milwaukee uh, which made the pandemic feel over in a lot of ways. And that came roaring right back. Um, so things were a little slow. I think we got down a little bit over the winter, but in January, we all got together as a group and said, we have something here. Like revenge travel is going to be a huge thing. Totally. Airbnb hosting is massive. Like Airbnb um, IPO'd. I was lucky enough to get in on the share purchase program. And I was like, you know, these guys have just been like empathetic leaders throughout this entire pandemic 
like this is a thing airbnb is never going away we've got this let's figure out what we have on our hands let's go back to our customers ask them what we're doing right what we're doing wrong and let's build a go-to-market strategy uh, let's really get deep into the you know financials and analytics and that's where we are now uh, we've signed a few more customers that time um, and now we've decided that we have something that people want and we want to build it big and, and go far and, and wide with it and so we're raising crowdfunding money now via the crowd uh, we're also raising some money via traditional angel investors and, and looking at some VC firms and things, but there's some really cool things about crowdfunding that we're excited about. Well, I was going to say, so I love the the crowdfunding page and I uh, love the the mission behind it because it's uh, created by hosts for hosts. So tell us what, what's it been like hearing people that are just like, bring wash BNP to X, Y, and Z location or destination. Like we need this. Cause I I'm in the same boat. I'm like, you know, I would love to have wash BNP services in, in our area. Just that way we can focus and, and scale as well, because I think it's a, it's a value add for property managers, it's a, a marketing technique and tool for uh, owner acquisition and all the other stuff. So, um, you know, what's it been like getting everyone else's feedback and then seeing uh, the people that are investing and, and believing in the mission. Yeah, it's been amazing. It's been really cool. I wasn't a huge believer in crowdfunding for us because I know there's a digital marketing component to that that I knew would be hard for us to crack that code and find Airbnb hosts around the country without spending a lot of money advertising. And then I started jumping on the clubhouse. Uh, it's where you and I have spent like lots of good quality time <laughs> over the winter. And it has been the very first time I was on clubhouse, I pitched in a room run by Phil Castro in Chicago just totally random, like jumped on there, gave my 60 second pitch about Watch BNB. And I looked down and like, I had two Instagram messages from Airbnb hosts who were randomly in this room for startups. And I was like, one of them owned a company in Florida where he had like 15 units. Another one was in Chicago. I was like, whoa. So I started texting them and they're like, oh, cool. We'd love to use your service. Da, da, da. Wow, that's wild. I wonder if there are any Airbnb rooms on Clubhouse, like search Airbnb and like found a whole bunch of weird stuff and like, but found like a couple rooms. It's like, okay, I'm going to jump in here. Jumped in one of those. There was like a hundred hosts on there. Um, I said, Hey, uh, this is who I am. This is what I'm doing. And I got 50 DMS that day. I was like, I called Brian. I was like, do you remember New York last year? I just found New York again. <laughs> I was literally, I was like, dude, I, I found New York again. Like everybody here understands what we're talking about. No more talking to like venture capital firms who have no idea what we're talking about and don't see the need for our service or don't think people will pay for it. Like I just got a whole mess of DMs. And then one of my other co-founders, he's like, dude, like five people just signed, like try to sign up for our service on the website. Like what's going on? And I was like, yeah, it's just on this thing called clubhouse. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> it's so uh, organic. But as, yeah, totally organic. And as we kept talking to people, a couple of things happened. One, um, a lot of disappointment. Like mm -hmm. you're in Palm Springs, you're in Scottsdale, you're in Miami, you're in, you know, Philadelphia, wherever, like super excited. Like, yes, I've been looking, waiting for this my whole life. <laughs> and then it's like, cool, we're only in Milwaukee. So I was like super disappointing. Uh, and then the other uh, thing that happened is like people literally started asking us for franchises, asking if they can invest in our company. A group of uh, people in Texas said, uh, if we like throw some money your way, would you come to Texas first? Wow. <laughs> so, wow. Uh, so I went back to the crowdfunding platforms. I said, I think I might have an angle into the marketing problem. Um, and the more I thought about it, the more I just said, wow, this is a really, really powerful way to fund a company mm. is, you know, we're, we're maybe we're not a venture backable company, but doesn't mean like Cintas is like, like a $38 billion yeah. company. Yeah. They do what we do for car shops, yeah. other employees, you know, and uniforms and things like that. Yeah. Um, and they, they approach their problems the, very much the same way we do. And they trade a six times revenue multiple. I mean, they're, they're a huge company with a very valuable proposition. And so maybe we're not like a venture backable company, but can we be a huge company? Can we like make a lot, can we create a lot of value for like our investors, yeah. our friends and our family, like ourselves along the way? Absolutely. And so this is a way to say like, you know, built by host for host funded by host it aligns our values and ensures that like host will always be a meaningful part of our board of our cap table uh, and who we are. And so we won't feel the need or feel the pressure from a venture firm 
to extract as much money from the industry as possible yeah. to line their pockets. We are about creating long-term value and long-term value means you're going to do things that don't make us the most amount of money right away. Mm-hmm. We're going to do things that help scale our business, that learn, that are empathetic to our customers in times of stress, like a pandemic, you know, helping them survive, helping them, you know, make their business better. We are customers of our own service. Like yeah. we get it. Uh, having host fund this company is absolutely the best thing I think I ever could have discovered. And it's been so exciting. I posted the other day on Twitter. If you, uh, that feeling I used to get from Airbnb that I still get, by the way, cause yeah. I still get bookings on Airbnb and I'm still stoked. And I'm just like, Oh my God, it just made like a thousand dollars. This is really so exciting. Yeah. Somebody like invested a hundred dollars in watching me be for the first time. We were completely in private mode. I don't know how they got the link to it. And I was like, I texted everybody I knew. I was like, somebody I don't know just invested a hundred dollars in Washington B. That's awesome. And then like somebody else, like the next day it was like a thousand dollars. Like, well, are you kidding me? Like somebody I don't know just <laughs> invested in us. Uh, it's been really cool. We launched publicly yesterday, which was March 29th. Um, and, uh, and we're like, we're about to hit $50,000. Uh, wow. We had our first couple of angel investors commit to us over the weekend. Wow. Uh, yeah. The like momentum is strong. Um, I spent a whole year telling the wrong people that we're building something valuable. And I spent the last two mm-hmm. months telling people we're building something valuable and now they all believe me and, uh, and they want a part of it. So it's, it's a fun ride. Man, that's, that's deep. I love it. I think it's so good. Cause I, I love the crowdfunding thing just because in the end, like, you're always going to have your ear to the ground and know what is happening and have a pulse on the industry compared to like a VC company or a VC back company where you're just trying to support the data and the numbers for them to give you more funding versus like, yeah. these are people that are seeing the changes happen on their properties, whether a single host or a multi property um, property manager. Yeah. There's going to be so much value for you guys and how you continue to make changes and grow and implement and even possibly think about franchising or bringing services to a certain destination. And like, you're going to have the best resource you could possibly have because they have one sweat equity, they have emotional equity and they have financial equity. Um, So it just makes so much more sense in my head. And as you described it, like that almost like that right there, hearing everything you just said, just got me so amped up because of the entrepreneur journey. Like it, there's no overnight success. There's no, like I thought of it, uh, uh, you know, uh, Airbnb wash company. And all of a sudden here we are, we're famous. We're huge. We're everywhere. I'm on the beach sipping margaritas. It's, it's, it's not how <laughs> exactly. it is, you know, but it's just seeing the moments and the, and the traction is super key and hearing the story behind it is just, there's, I bet a lot of people seeing wash B as it is like either the website or just seeing maybe some social media posts wouldn't understand the story that's behind it that you just shared, which is, uh, why I love this job so much is because you really get to unpack a lot. Um, that's so cool. So I love to give a guest like yourself and everyone on the podcast an opportunity to, we're going to obviously tag everything in the show notes and share all of the stuff that you've talked about. Um, especially because you and I have such a mutual circle that it's, I feel like it's so important to have it all in one area. Um, as you've been discussing, but where can people find you? Where can we learn more? Where can uh, people that love your mission and story go invest? Yeah. The best place to do that right now, best way for us and the future of this company is to invest in us. You can do that for as little as $100 on WeFunder. WeFunder is changing the world. The deregulation around crowd investing by the SEC recently is a great thing. It's going to change the types of companies that get funded, um, where those companies are located, what their founders look like, the languages they speak. It's a really, really cool thing. I mean, this is democratization and decentralization like at its best. And there's still regulation. There's a lot of efforts to keep it safe. But you know, it's it's a total miss when you can go to Las Vegas and put fifty thousand dollars on a football team, but you can't put a hundred dollars against a startup. I mean, imagine have had Airbnb had access to this when they were growing. Imagine how much how many decisions would have been made with their hosts at the table, like how many hosts would have had board seats as opposed to just, um, and, and not that Airbnb hasn't done an incredible job, um, but 
it's a powerful tool to raise through community. They're not every business is community driven, but you can make an argument now that every business can have a community aspect to it. People that buy your product or services are your community. So yeah. take care of them, like get them financially invested, like make that your success, our success, you know, share it all around. Uh, it's a really cool thing. So wefunder.com slash wash BNB uh, is where the investment portal is. You can find all the terms of, of our offering there, um, how much money we're raising, how much money we raised, why it's a good business opportunity um, to invest in. So even if you're not a host, you have no idea what we're talking about. You find a way into Will Slicker's Slick Talk. Um, <laughs> it's still a good business opportunity. Like we have a clear pathway to $100 million in revenue. Um, and and we've got a team that executes and, and that's got our whole hearts into this too, um, which is a really cool thing. Other than that, washbnb.com. Um, there's some updates coming there. Um, but again, we're, you know, we need this money to expand. We need this money to grow to new markets. We need yeah. this money to, uh, to hit all the goals and metrics that we want to. So uh, unfortunately you can't get Wash BNB um, outside of the Midwest right now. Um, we're going to be working really, really hard and diligently to make that happen. And then, you know, the social media is we own Wash BNB just about everywhere. There's a social media account, except TikTok. I don't think we ever um, engaged in the TikTok world, but uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, we're not very active. Um, social media is not, um, I, I think business has a place there, but it's not really the the place where I think, whereas with Clubhouse, of yeah. course, I think there's a really strong business case used for Clubhouse. We're always on there making each other's businesses better and stronger. Yeah. Um, so me personally, if you want to follow me on my Clubhouse, Daniel J. Cruz, that's C-R-U-Z. And same as Twitter, Daniel J. Cruz. Uh, those are my handles. Come find me, engage with me, talk to me, text me, call me, email me, like whatever you want to do. I'm pretty open. Uh, fundraising's a beast. My calendar's miserable right now, but I don't care. I always got five minutes to say what's up to somebody. That's awesome. No, man, I appreciate you so much for taking the time to, one, you've come pretty close to my heart in a, in a friendship way, but also a really cool entrepreneur uh, who I like to, to bounce ideas off of and work with and, and just support. I think what you guys are doing is is key. It's fundamental for the industry. It's fundamental for uh, the individual, you know, hosts and property managers that aren't um, the big, you know, turnkeys, vacasas, you know, you name it, um, that don't have these resources available. So I think what you guys are doing is just key. And I am so glad you are finally on Slick Talk after multiple, multiple clubhouse rooms together. We are, uh, we're making a rock and roll. So uh, all the Slick Talk, of course, of course, Daniel. all the slick talkers. And even the big companies that do have resources, we could probably do it better than you because we <laughs> specialize in it. We do nothing but the best linens and laundry, at least for now. Maybe maybe in the future we'll add a few more services. But for <laughs> now, upgrade your guest experience, upgrade your employee experience so they're not doing all this heavy labor and stuff that they're you know maybe not super well qualified to do. Reduce your operational expenses by not having headcount dedicated to laundry, reduce your capital expenses by not buying equipment dedicated to laundry, reduce your startup costs. I mean, we solve for all of these things and we charge by the reservation. So if you go to zero because the government shut you down, you're not sitting on linen inventory, you're not sitting on headcount, you're not sitting on anything. And it's sad because Washington B won't make any money either. But hey, let's share and let's share in the good times together and then let's figure out the bad times together also. I love that. Well, you heard it, Slick Talkers. So everything will be in the show notes. Go ahead, check it out. Follow, like, invest, share, you name it. Listen to this episode. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to this week's Slick Talk episode of the Hospitality Podcast. Thank you so much, Daniel, and we'll see you again very soon. Thanks, Will. Thank you so much for listening. We love your support and want to provide the best we can to all our listeners. So please find us online, social media, and on Spotify, Apple Podcast, and Google Podcast. In hotels and vacation rentals, the top complaints or issues are noise, garbage, and parking. I may not be able to solve all of your parking and garbage problems, but I could definitely help with your noise problems. And that actually might just help your garbage and parking problems too. So NoiseAware is the only 100% privacy-safe noise monitoring solution that property managers and owners can use in order to ensure they avoid parties and other issues happening at their property. You won't get notified when a plate breaks, but if you have a little quiet get-together that kind of gets out of hand like this, 
then NoiseAware will give you the peace of mind to ensure that you and your property, and of course, your profits, are protected. So use my code SLICKTALK20 to get 20% off of all noise monitoring devices and focus on the other important things that help you run your business. Now, thank you for checking out Slick Talk, the hospitality podcast. Get back to the episode. And don't forget to check out Noise Aware while you're listening. What's up, everybody? If you've gotten this far into the episode of Slick Talk, the hospitality podcast, then you are amazing, and thank you so much for tuning in. We want to send you two places really quickly. If you can, check out the show notes and click the hospitality.fm link. Check out all of our other shows on the podcast network. And don't forget, if you have someone that you want to hear on the podcast, then fill out the guest fill-out form so that way we can get them on the show. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy another episode of Slick Talk, the Hospitality Podcast.